We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome back to another episode of the Golden Blogs podcast, the Bearcast. We're back. We are back, we are baby. Back. It's been two weeks since we've recorded a podcast. Every yeah. <laughs> what a what an unfortunate series of events to be talking <laughs> about this this I, whatever the heck happened on Saturday. I I don't know. I really don't know. I, we'll we'll get into it. Saddle up. But. It's gonna be a nice depressing one today, folks. Oh. Is it? <laughs> What are the right words? What are the right words to describe how we're going to talk today? Is it anger? Is it depression? Point. No, yeah. Like, I literally went through all of the emotions. Of gr- I mean, of like I was grief? pissed off after that game. What are the what are the four... Is it the four stages of grief? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I went through all anger, of Anger, depression. Um, it's At like some a, point, you come around. Yeah, that's the last step. But then there's like a... But I haven't, what's I'm it? An, an inability to accept, like, what happened... That's one of them, right? It's, I yeah, think so. Denial. Denial. That's what yeah. the word is. Denial. Yeah. Denial, depression, anger, I think are three of them. So we did go all through all, all four stages. I went anger. And then I was like, it didn't happen. No game was played yesterday. <laughs> Someone asked um, one of the Oregon guys I was with two weeks ago. I was like, um, what happened yesterday? And my response was, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I was in a coma for 24 hours. And I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't at Memorial Stadium. I wasn't at homecoming. I never go to homecoming. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So some housekeeping. Um, if, you hit, if you're listening to this, that means two podcasts before this, we had a pretty fun episode with uh, Kevin Riley. So I highly recommend you guys go check that one out. Um it was great talking to him. It's great because we like have like a means of communication with him now. So like we we talk to him every once in a while through Twitter and ask him for his insight, and it's it's good. I think I, I think long term, like you know, we can ask him to come on the pod again and with less technical difficulties. And I think it'll be he's gonna be a very fun guest like going forward to like constantly ask on his thoughts, especially with the quarterbacks issue that we currently are with. <laughs> Yeah, it was so enlightening and refreshing and fun, and um, and he's you know, doing really well. So um, 
it was just an amazing example of somebody that like dealt with adversity at a young age and did really well coming out the other side and um and on top of it his memory is ridiculous like we were just talking about how good his memory was of like all he's like calling out like what the defensive formation was and the particular plays and we're just like he remembers not only like the formation in place but remembers like where players were lined up yeah like he was talking about that final play against oregon state in 07 he was like yeah it was like a trips left with like deshaun running point like and (laughs) i don't even remember who was in on that play like i just but he remembers everything. Like yeah. that's incredible. That's incredible. That tells you what you need to like be a successful Division One quarterback too. But uh, yeah, so take a listen to that if you haven't listened to that. But other housekeeping news is, uh, let's see, do we have anything from the website? No. Do we have anything on Twitter? Not that I can think of. We will be going through your questions, but that'll be on. That we changed the format just for today, just because of the game and other topics that stem from the game that we need to talk about. And hopefully we answer a lot of the questions that you guys had because we want to keep our conversation a little bit more expansive instead of cutting it and getting to the next question and so on. So that's what we'll do. But Andy, we have uh, two, I believe, two comments. Two reviews. Two reviews. And if you don't know, I will repeat it. If you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, good or bad, we will read it out loud. I will read it out loud on the next episode of the podcast. We're pretty good about following through on this. Um, yeah, so Apple Podcasts is the only place you can review, I believe. Yep. So that's the only, like, even though we're on, like, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all that good stuff, like, or Google Play, you can't review podcasts on there. Apple Podcasts is still the only one. So that's the only way you're going to be able to hear your own comments on the air. <laughs> but fire away, Andy. Here we go. What do we got? Great Cal Bears coverage. This is from October 6th, 2019. From Golden Bear 92. Uh, maybe he was born in 1992. Or maybe graduated in 92. She or he or she is 92 years old. Graduated in 1992. We don't know. Uh, I enjoy the well-informed and intelligent breakdowns and analysis of Cal football games. I always learn inside knowledge about Cal and football in general with every episode. Keep up the great work. Go Bears. Thank you very much, Golden Bear 92. Thank you so much. The other one is... Um, from Will Chung says October 8th, 2019 go bears. Look forward to this podcast every week. You guys are really insightful when breaking down each game. And I learned something new each time. Thank you, Rob, Andy, and everybody for articulating so well, the roller coaster of emotions that comes with being a cow fan. The lows are quite sucky, but the highs are so, so sweet. Go bears. And isn't that just a perfect review (laughs) to go into what was the suckiest of the suck, the low of the low, <laughs> Saturday's football game. Uh, all right. So we before we delve into it, let me go through the gen- the basic stats, the game, what happened, all that good stuff. So here we go. Cal takes on Oregon State on in on October 19th, 11.30 kickoff. I have some words about that 11.30 kickoff, but I will save that for later. <laughs> um, Cal loses to Oregon State 21-17. Oregon State... Um, I mean, wins this game behind. <laughs> I don't. I, players, Hilarious. What players. planet are you from? Uh, Oregon State didn't win this game. <laughs> behind Jake Luton and his uh, eighteen of thirty-four passing with no interceptions, hundred seventy-four yards and two touchdowns. He was also sacked five times. How many yards? Hundred and seventy-four yards. Mm. Rushing wise, uh, Artavis Pierce twenty-three carries for eighty-six yards, um, no touchdowns. 
Jamar Jefferson did not play as expected. So that was huge going into it. From the Cal side, uh, Devon Modster, 12 of 27 with one touchdown, sacked seven times and for 151 yards. Or not, he wasn't sacked for 151 yards. He threw for 151 yards. Uh, he also was the leading rusher for the Bears with a net 76, but he gained 109. So I think the losses include the, his sacks. So 19 carries for 109 yards gained, 33 loss, 77, 76 net, no touchdowns. Christopher Brown Jr., 15 carries for 50 yards and one touchdown. Actually, 49. You know what's crazy about that is even with Monsters' ridiculous rushing stats, like our average was still like two and a half per carry. Yep, two and a half, exactly two and a half. But this is this isn't sack adjusted. No, so I know. yeah, that you but, have to take that into account. But like, I guess actually, monster is only averaging four. But yeah, yeah, like yeah. I mean, because trash. Spencer was Spencer <laughs> Spencer Brash who came in later was sacked twice, right? And that was negative nineteen. So that that adds to our rushing stat combined so all right fine um but anyways still uh, ain't great yeah still ain't great continuing nico remigio leading all wide receivers with four receptions on 51 yards with a long of us with the long of 17 defensively evan weaver leading the way with 21 total tackles two sacks two two tackles for loss uh followed by coin dang with 11 total tackles one tackle for loss and one qb hurry the other big name that played well was cam good five tackles 1.5 sacks and 2.5 tackles for a loss along with two QB hurries. That's pretty much it. I mean, the Bears the Bears were down 14-3 going into halftime. And then they come back in the third quarter, roar 14 points and they're up by 3. In the towards the end of the fourth quarter, they give up a long drive to Oregon State and then a touchdown. And with Monster out, um I believe either the drive prior or two drives prior, the Bears just can't get back with Spencer Brash being forced onto there with two minutes left with no timeouts and you know all that all that good stuff of a true freshman going out there and asking him to win a game with his arm. So that's it. That's that's how it happened. I will. Do you do you have any general thoughts on the game first? Or do you just want to go straight into our points? Uh, I just feel like someone just punched me in the face. <laughs> 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 it it feels like it it felt like it i mean okay let's let's recap here both of us were in the booth you left right before monster got hurt no or did you leave after he got hurt i left after i left uh you left after you got hurt but you didn't get to see brash throw correct yeah I, it was after they scored yeah but uh and it, I didn't leave out of like I'm leaving. I had to go to an event my wife was having, but like I had a hard stop at two thirty, so I just had to leave at two thirty. And that's and exactly what that's exactly when right that after happened. They scored, yeah. And what I don't know if you remember this, but about two twenty five, I turned to you and said something. They were like at the thirty yard line. OSU was at the thirty or forty yard line. You something along. I think we were basically seeing the same thing, right? If they score here, we're done. I said we're gonna lose. Yeah. Yeah. I felt that way after they scored two touchdowns in a row and we had no answer. We were down 14 0, and the way our offense was going in the first half, I was like, we haven't had a single game where we've made offensive adjustments coming out of halftime. There's no way we're coming back from this. 
Yeah, and to be fair, like it's pretty generous saying that we even like made offensive adjustments. Like the biggest play happened when I thought this might be the game where I could make an argument that my preseason prediction about Stephen Coots was coming came true, where he had that like punt that went much further than the OSU you know returner expected, and then he like dropped it. Yeah, uh, and if we and had recovered, blasted at the two yard line or whatever, yeah. like that put them pinned them back and then nico had you know the return so we started that drive at the 40 and then you know we score so like we really got there because of special teams and we didn't really you know we didn't drive the field it wasn't like our offense like it wasn't like that drive that we had against arizona state where we just like ran it down their throat and like yeah. all of a sudden it was like oh hey offense is here yeah. um yeah there was none of that there was no Mm-mm. yeah but we'll we'll dive into it uh you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, my first point is a de- is about the defense actually, and um, you know, I think it's it's particularly I I understand why Wilcox. I mean, he obviously can't come into these press conferences and just be like, "Yeah, our offense is a problem, and our defense plays great, and we obviously have a problem on offense." I mean, I think he could do more of it than he does, but you know, he's a guy that's going to hold the entire team accountable. And to be fair, there's bones to be picked um, <laughs> with the uh, the defense here. And it's on third down. Yeah. They allow, like, this is a consistent theme at this point where we will get teams in third and long and we will give it up. Uh, and it happened on every single drive. Every single drive they scored the touchdown on, we had multiple opportunities. I think it was seven third downs that came up on those three drives that we allowed them to convert on. And those are the three drives he's talking about. Yeah, like in the press conference and, where he's upset, and they're like, I mean, I can't. I I relax when the defense relaxed. It was like third and ten, and the defense just went into coverage, and you know they ran the whatever it was delay or uh, handoff, and they got fifteen. That was the biggest play of the game, and I relaxed. I was like, oh, I think we got this. Like I didn't see them going down and converting on a third and long, and sure enough, they run the ball, and we weren't even close on that play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and props to Jonathan Jonathan Smith for calling a run there. Like that was, you know, we just said it. Uh, you just said it, like we got out coached. Um, and so I think the defense is as phenomenal as this defense is. There's a consistent theme of us. We can't on the long drives. We struggle to get off the field uh, on third down. It's not like we give up. It's because we're a really good defense. I mean, it's not like we're giving up these like big you know, score easy scores or anything. We make people work for it. But the worst part is like we can put them in third and long and then the defense ends up kind of like for whatever reason, not converting. And I don't know if it's because like we're missing Kanasic or, you know, we're missing that second line. Like if it's, I, I don't know if it's a read or what it is, but um, you know, there were, we got out schemed on a couple plays. It was pretty obvious. Uh, and I just like, part of me was like wow that's cool to watch an actual functional offense scheme against the defense like we haven't seen that in three years which is ridiculous uh and then part of me saying like i think our defense should be better yeah i just to answer like to talk about your point i think it goes both ways here in my opinion right you you gotta the offense has to score more to give the defense some leeway at the same time when you know your offense is struggling and the offense gets you a lead by scoring, you need to clamp down hard because you know those points are going to be hard to come by. 
and it, it so it kind of just it went in that scenario and then it went into the bad option version of it rather than the good option where they did enough to get the stop and they scored just enough you know to win and th- that's that was just one of the things so this is so yeah off of that point mine's a more of a point of like the longer term for the rest of the season on it but it's more of a question format so how long before the defense just starts to give up like how how long before subconsciously you keep taking the hits defensively and you just can't you don't you just subconsciously don't believe that the other side of the ball is going to produce enough points for you to be able to win no matter how well you play defensively right so like you know coach in his press conference just today was like you know someone asked about the similarities between last year and this year and he talked and he said something like you know from a narrative point i get i get why you guys want to ask that but like last year's team is not this year's team this year's team is not last year's team like it's a it's a brand new year like it's a brand new team it's different opponents all that good stuff but you know i have to slightly disagree with that just because you know of sports goes both ways psychologically like if you the greatest example for me is my my beloved soccer team Manchester United football club right in the 90s and the 2000s under Sir Alex Ferguson what were they known for they were they were known for beating you in the last minute no matter who was on the team when Sir Alex Ferguson was the head coach you and you played at Old Trafford and you were up 1-0 you were always afraid that United were going to come back and score in the final waning minutes and either get that point or score two quick ones and win the game and that was it was a general fear of any team heading into that different different teams every year but that's the that's the kind of the tone that they set the opposite end of the spectrum of that would be this where you Evan Weaver talked about it after the ASU loss right where he was upset and he's like we're not gonna just fold here you know like we're gonna we're gonna change it but then it didn't we go into a three-game loss and then I don't know if you saw, because you weren't there, but I don't know if you saw Evan Weaver's post-game press conference. He was deflated. There was no fire in his answers. It was just like a, yeah, like they were, we lost. You know, like it, I've never seen Weaver answer those types of questions like that after a loss. Hmm. And you have to look at it now with only five games remaining. Like you have to kind of be like, ah, here we go again. Like there's, it's, I mean, in, from Weaver's perspective, or if you're a defensive player, like it's out of your hands, really, right? You can play as well as you can, but if the offense doesn't score any points for you, you're going to lose. Like I, you, you can give up, you can give up a field goal all game, but if your offense doesn't score a single point, you lose the game. And so, I yeah, I at this point actually came somewhat from Avi too when we were eating, or when we were eating after the game, and he was talking about this, and I was like, you know what, that's a really good point, because. It's a, it's a psychological, it's a mental game. All sports are. And especially when you're dealing with, you know, non-professional kids, right? Or non-professional players. Like, you're going to have the fluctuating, like, sports psychology a lot more than you'd have for, you know, like a Tom Brady who's in his 40s and has been there and done that, right? Like, it's a lot more cool, calm, they talk about cool, calm, collected all the time. But the amount of experience you have in this level of athletics it's so few for most of these guys. Yeah. So, I mean, think uh, I think in particular, I would 
I, I would so somewhat agree with it. I think that uh, I could see them. I think we're already. You could make the case that we're already already start to see. We're already starting, starting to, to see, see <laughs> uh, some of this play out. I think that the defense puts additional pressure on itself. And there's just mental mistakes that are probably happening because they feel like we have to win the game. How many times has Wilcox asked this defense to win the football game if you go back to last season? Many, many times. We forego offense to put the defense back on the field because we know that's our best unit. But we've asked them to kind of carry that ship. And so, yes, do I think that it could have an impact on them putting pressure on themselves? For sure. Do I see this team giving up on Coach Wilcox in which they're so bought in? Nah. I don't think I don't I, think so. I don't think they'll like they'll proactively like give up on themselves and you'll see it in the body language. I think it's just more of those small mental things like in the middle of the game when you're not even really like thinking of your own thoughts like you're not in control your mind just kind of is in that autopilot mode as you're in such a like a fast going you know runner's high yeah yeah and you're in that moment and you're just like crap like here oh no like not again you know like and it's just it's one or two of those mental lapses is all you need for an 11 man team to crumble like one guy just thinks that right and it, it happens. Yeah, I think you would see it where maybe in the Utah game, there's like an early score uh, that happens. And, you know, maybe the team is just like, there goes the ball game, right? Mm-hmm. Seven points. We're not getting seven yeah. points. You know, like something like that. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I have a hard time kind of seeing it. I would be shocked. I wouldn't be totally shocked if we're like throw a total dud out there this week. Um but I would be surprised if you saw that consistently throughout the rest of the year. I think this next game is a pretty tough one. Um, but then the rest of the season, you basically have some pretty winnable games. Although SC is playing good football. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, um, I I could totally understand if the defense sort of got into that mindset. would not be surprising mm-hmm. because we all get into that mindset. We were in that mindset, Rob, against Washington. Not to like throw you under the bus. Oh, I was. Like, you text me like we lost, right? Yeah. When they scored, when they scored the field, lost. when they scored the field goal, yeah. and we needed to come back to score, we lost. We lost. That was week two. Yeah. So we were already there in week two. I mean, you know, like we're it's mid October now. I mean, that's a hell of like if we were that down on the offense <laughs> at that point in the year. Um, yeah, and I mean, I think this is a this is a much bigger conversation because then you start to go into, all right, well, now you've had this for more than like more than a year, right? You've had this experience and you've had you know arguably a good amount of data and you know possibly talk about making the change at O coordinator and like I think you could kind of expand on this quite a bit. Um, it's all just really bad. There's just <laughs> <laughs> it's all just really bad. All right, your next point. All right, so um, sticking with the theme of the game, I, I really think that the the frustrating part of that game for me was the fact that we did move the ball at times. It wasn't like we out we were we outgained. I think we still might have outgained Oregon State in the game, um, or it was pretty close. And when you know when I was leaving, like we were outgaining them, and. It was really the not the sacks. Like so, whether it was the O line, that pocket, 
my goodness. It was one of the worst pockets I think I've ever seen in the history of me watching college football. <laughs> it was even when there was time, it the pocket was tiny. It wasn't like there was space to move in. It was like this tiny little pocket where you had a foot to your left, foot to your right, foot in front of you, foot behind you. And you had to sit in it and you got one read and you got to throw. And I understand Monster's inaccurate and I understand uh, like on some balls, but like he also isn't making mistakes. He's not throwing picks. There's not like he's getting lucky by nearly throwing interceptions and not doing it. Like he's been a pretty relatively good game manager for what we've needed. It's just he misses some throws. And when the offense is pressing, the spotlight seems to highlight it more. And so what frustrated me the most was we like get the ball to the 12 and then we go back and we just like have negative plays. We 53% of our total plays were no gain or negative. Like, that's absurd. <laughs> I've never, I mean, oh, God. <laughs> so frustrating. I'm still not past anger. Like, I'm still. Yeah, you're, I'm no, no, you're fluctuating back and forth <laughs> like, between I'm everything. Still, like, <laughs> multiple personality disorder here. <laughs> yeah, like, it frustrates me so much. Here, I mean. So we get in the field goal range. Then, <sighs> then we go right back. We're yep. like, nah, we don't want it. Nope. And then we go, uh, all right, we get the ball to 12, and then we're like, no, no, no. We'll actually take the ball to 30 and try and kick a 48-year-old field goal, and then we'll miss it off the upright. And we're just, like, getting into territory and then psh, back. First drive of the game, drive down the field, four, or like three and out or four, whatever on the it's like a five uh, four and out. Yeah, four and out. On the stupid inside runs that everyone in the world knows that they're going to run, and we keep doing it and, like, let's try it again. Like, no. like It's, the, dude, it's like the person at the table It's like, roll it again like dude no you've lost like 80 times in a row like just just stop just just step away from the roulette table <laughs> take a break at least at uh, the roulette table like you have a chance at winning money like this is like there's no there's no winning here like you get you get let's say a five or ten yard run right out of out of one of those like on the ninth one that you did is that a win <laughs> no 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 no, because you've been stuffed all all times before. I mean, here's the offensive stats, right, that I didn't read. We had 20 first downs. They had 18. We had 107 yards on the run. On the ground, they had 108. It was pretty much neck and neck. Uh, we had 175 yards passing. They had 174. Total yards on offense, 282 both ways. Yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't get the ball at 12. And then Cal should not be getting the ball to the 12 against Oregon State and then end up kicking a, what, mid-45 to 48 or what was it like something like that you're to like and also to the like the 120th defense in the country right i mean this that is fundamentally like absurd to me that it was just like we would get in there and then it was just negative play negative play negative play negative play and we're like so like to me this game had this odd sense where we should have been ahead even though we were losing like i still always felt like we should have had a bigger lead than what we did in a lot of ways, this was like the worst case scenario of like North Texas combined with Davis combined with, you know, like all these silly games we ASU. played this year. Yeah. yeah. Where it's all three like, games combined. And experienced all of it in one, which was just miserable. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I think to me what this is, is it's it's coaching. Um, Herm Edwards was on HBO and I watched this Arizona state special and he said that college football is one of the weirdest and, and football in general is one of the weirdest things because you spend far more time practicing the game than actually playing it. You have, uh, you know, 
the NFL OTAs, you have fall camp, and you go and you have practice every day, and then you play the game on Sunday for three hours, right? But you spend all the rest of the time practicing, and you win the game in practice. And I thought that was really interesting. He's like, the outcome of the game is determined by your ability, like how well you do in practice. And to me, that's why I point to this and just say, like, it's coaching. We had all the time to practice for this game in the world. And then, uh, you know, the, we saw the outcome. So, yeah, there's a, the, lot, there's a lot to unpack in that. The biggest thing for me, too, is like the coaches, at least this staff, preaches that they want to put their players in the best position to succeed. The best possible position to succeed. Defensively, yes. Yeah, you're doing that. You're you're calling the right plays. Like you're doing everything you can to put in those guys in a position to make the tackle, to make the play, to do all that. Offensively, it's the exact opposite. You're not putting any of these guys in a position to win or succeed on a single play for that matter. And that's where it's like it does it it just doesn't add up to me. It just doesn't. And yeah. All right. You want my next point? <laughs> sure. This one's on the offense. Seven games in. Seven games already. We're already more than halfway through the season. And the offense has no identity. <laughs> zero. The offense has zero zero identity. And the exact sentence I wrote is, we lost everything in our offense just trying to add explosive plays. Remember how that was the big thing going into this year is that they wanted to add more explosive plays and they put that an emphasis in that? With that, we lost everything else. <laughs> you see the explosive plays. Mm-hmm. Like Monster's touchdown drive, mm-hmm. that deep out to Nico, perfectly thrown. And then that lead, that inside shoulder lead in for to Jordan. Great. Great throw. But both explosive plays. But we can't win the single, like the three hard run. <laughs> or like the single, like if we're like three and third and four, like we can't seem to get like a like a hitch route or, yeah. or a quick slant. Like we can't seem to get the small ones that we need. You know what's particularly fascinating about that point? It's actually an amazing point. Is, is that the two things, what were the two things they highlighted in fall camp? Explosive plays. And? Turnovers. So what did we do this game? None of those. Well, no, we did have some explosive plays. Oh, no, no. Okay, yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'm saying the – okay, I was talking about the opposite. So so we're actually executing on what – so I think the (laughs) whole plan was probably flawed to begin with (laughs) to focus on those two things because the guys are doing a pretty good job of not turning the ball over. And, you know, Chris Brown had a couple of plays that would be defined as explosive runs and – you mentioned the the throws, monsters, long runs. Like there were, def- it wasn't like we had no explosive identity. But yeah, we have. There's nothing, man. We don't have any level. We're not a running team. We had that at the beginning of the year. People would be like, "Oh, we got the two brood, the brood thunder and lightning." Chris Brown Jr. and Marcel Dancy. Like, nope, those guys aren't going anywhere. Look at it this way: if you take away touchdowns from last year and this year, right? This year's team is the exact opposite of last year's team, right? Last year's team was great in getting like the three-yard, the four-yard little runs. Mm-hmm. And they just cannot get the big ones when they need it, and the defense clamped down on them. This year's the exact opposite. We get the big chunk yards, and then when we need the small ones, we just can't seem to do it. And we don't turn the ball over, and we turned the ball over like crazy last year. 
<laughs> yeah. the exact opposite the of what we're doing. Like you talked about Monster being the game manager, right? Is it is it out of is it am I crazy to think that Monster and how he played so far this year, right, is the player we wanted Garbers to be last year? Just the game manager. Yeah. That could run. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what we wanted. That didn't turn the ball over. Or McElwain. Or either one of those, but that's the that's that's the, the the like the the image of what we wanted from our quarterback, like halfway through last year, right? Yeah, it's, it's crazy to me. Yeah. Oh goodness. And I think, uh, yeah, it's an amazing point. <laughs> we are, and so that's that's the crux of this. So not to like keep going back to this, and this is fundamentally what I wonder in my head: Are we? asking too much like the last so the dykes era which people just seem to want to talk about so want oh, let's open that can open <laughs> oh boy so the dykes era i do have a point on that one. all too. we wanted to do was just get a defense that was like top 60 you know not even top 80 yeah to go with that offense and then we're like oh, that's all we need all we needed <laughs> was art kaufman to just like be run run your defense you know just get us to the, and now here we are and what I will say is let's build the identity of Wisconsin. Like if we want to be Wisconsin of the West or if we want to be Michigan State of the West, let's go out and recruit brawlers on the O-line. Let's go and get these Chris Streets and Chris Brown Jr. running backs that are super talented. And and then let's do it. Like who cares about the quarterback? Like just get the big guys up front. And be like, we are going to run the ball all night, right? And then that's us. We're Cal football. We play mean-ass defense, and we run the ball down your throat. Try and stop us. If you do, good for you. Great. But we have that identity. But, like, yeah, I agree. Our identity right now is, like, we do nothing well on offense, and we're pretty good on defense. I mean, like, defense identity is great. I have nothing wrong there. But offense is, I don't know. Like, so, so Stanford. You want to be Stanford. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's ridiculous of me to think that, Stanford could do this, and we can't for some. No, reason. it's it's boring football. Like that's, I mean, let's get that out of the way. It's boring football, but it's effective football. But we like watching defense, arguably right. more more than I like watching right. the Dykes offense. Right. If you were telling me that we were going eight and four every year, like that's all where I'm asking for is eight and four every year, with with like a stars aligned every like five or six years where we like went in eight, nine or ten games. Right. I'm sure, I'd want that. When it got there, but like right. For Andy right now, while we eight lost four every Oregon year. State, yeah. like eight and four every year, and then you know an axe, and then the guys up front that are like going to the NFL, and yeah, like, and then we get the running backs, so that the program can get recognition for guys, so that like people can see, you know, our running backs, our era of running backs are no longer in the NFL, for people to really look at and be like. That's where I want to go, and now they've gone to Stanford. That's the thing, Bryce Love and yeah. Christian McCaffrey, and you know they have. Stanford is now the powerhouse school for the for the kids that are in high school. I mean, over the last ten years, like let's let's look at it, right? Like an eighteen year old kid ten years ago is eight, right? His formative years of him watching football. Who is the powerhouse football school? Oh, without a doubt, Stanford. I hate to admit it, but it's the truth. Without a doubt, here's my. I don't know if that was a point, but here's my little addendum to that. All right, over a six-year span, and I, I'm actually I'm actually curious to what people think, and I'm curious to, to know what you think. But over the over the last six years, 
Cal has arguably wasted its best offense and its best defense it's seen in years. You agree with that? Yeah. Probably more specifically, like... Because I'm thinking the 2015 Goff year, right? And that... And that godly offense is arguably one of the best offenses we've seen in quite a while. I never liked that offense that much. I actually think I would say that some of the Tedford offenses, like the Rodgers offenses, were better. I really Could had be. a hard time with the offense because we just got shut down. And sometimes, so just, like, never, yeah. like, yeah, Goff is, like, elite. and But then, like, the wide receivers haven't done as well at the next level. I think. No, but they did enough in college. Like that, that I'm just I'm just that's all I'm basing it off of. Like that offense put up points whenever they wanted to and whenever they needed to, barring one or two kind one or two games. Of. They couldn't score at will like Against I think Utah. It's revisionist Utah. history of like for us when we were like they were they were defensible. Like you could scheme up a game plan against that. It wasn't like it wasn't like every team we took out and scored 35 and they just like had to score more than 35 on us. I felt like mm. I, I felt like it was more like when we would play like SC or when we would go in and play Stanford, like we would get held under, you know, we wouldn't be able to score at will as much. And but anyways, yes, yeah. I mean, we've wasted you're talking about the number one overall pick. And I think Evan Weaver is going to be that person at the next level. People are like, well in the world like how did you not win more in college yep but yeah that's that's my point what do you got all right <laughs> i thought oregon state was like a perfect example of the offense that we like like wanted to see and we need and could have and just don't like, you're you're talking about the oregon state offense like that's yeah. the type of offense we would schemes, want schemes the play calls like what they were doing i think uh i mean it's not like um uh, Whatever, Luton yeah. uh, is he's been there for like eight years. Yeah, he's like fifth year senior. He's, I don't think he was particularly special. Um, but I loved their play calls. Their yeah. play calls were inventive and exciting, and it was kind of catered to the personnel. Um, and I think I'm going to burn another point, but I think like what we don't do well is like we don't we don't we scheme to scheme like. We scheme to what we know, but we don't scheme to what we have. And so, like, we run plays as if our entire offensive line is fully healthy. (laughs) We run plays as if, like, our quarterback is, you know, Chase Garbers when it's Devon Modster. We don't seem to adapt to, like, the actual personnel. Uh, And Oregon State does look like they did a really good job of doing that. and even the way they spelled their two running backs, I thought that was really good too. So I just, it was like one of those glaring examples that you don't always see because our defense is so good. We don't really have the opportunity to kind of look at an offense and be like, admire it. But I was really, I found myself admiring Jonathan Smith's offense. Well, that makes perfect sense because, I mean, the whole mentality of the staff and whatever, what they always say when someone gets hurt is next man up, right? And if if you're blinded, by your own like you know household motto which is next man up you're expecting the talent drop off to not be there and the skill sets to be similar across the board and you're hoping that the next guy up can emulate who he's replacing right or bring somewhat of that skill set or whatever to 
to every position, which is not the case. And the better coordinators in the league, in the conference, in college football, in the NFL, like, heck, all of sports, basically, if you're <laughs> if you're a coach, like, you coach the skill sets that everyone has. And we're not seeing that whatsoever. No. I mean, I think that is easily what you see at the next level. Is like, Or even when you look across at other programs that have to replace at important positions, it just sort of, I've never seen, and like, I think you can make a very clear argument here now because we've seen Bowers, we've seen Garbers, we've seen Monster. And, you know, we also can even look at like somebody like Patrick Laird. Um, and you've seen these guys like of all different, like star, you know, recruiting stars or what monster you even have UCLA tape. And they all look equally lost. They look lost in the RPO. They look slow to make their read progressions. Uh, they always seem to like default to like running out of the pocket. Um, and they don't make any mistakes. <laughs> so you know, they don't make very many mistakes. And it just seems like there's a, a theme. So either the playbook is unnecessarily complicated, as we've said this before. It's the second time we've said this. Or uh, it's just horribly uh like misguided yeah i the the drop off for baldwin's offense from where he was at eastern washington to now is insane and if you have to account for the uptick in the athlete you're playing the the competition that you're playing against but there has to be some carryover there's been zero carryover whatsoever and we'll talk about Baldwin in a little bit because that's a big question that everyone wants to talk about and the topic of everyone on everyone's mind but um, I think we could talk about that later all right um, turning back to the defense here's a point of mine the one exploitable part of our defense is in the middle of the field but at the same time we're playing a lot more soft coverage and that could be that could be a defensive game plan based on the offensive struggles we can't take more risks on defense with either our blitzing or our aggressive pressing because we can't give up the big play and force our offense to come back and score. Like we we're doing that we're doing those good Tedford teams where we like, yeah, keep possession, you know, for you and then we'll get a stop. But like we're not going to we're not going to clamp down on you like real quick right away just because like I mean Tedford didn't do this, but I'm just saying with this team it's can't put your offense back on there and expect them to score another another point so don't give up the big play which is exactly what they're doing and that's my thing of like everyone saying like oh the takers suck this year like you know they're not as good as they were last year sure if you're going off of like the stats of like interceptions sure but if if your interceptions is your only stat like we revert back to this every every time. The 2015 Cal team with Goff <laughs> yeah. was number two in the country in interceptions at one point. Like, there's that was halfway through the season. Like, the, the interception stat is like it's such a bizarre one because it's a reactionary stat. If the quarterback doesn't throw the ball to the defensive backs, the defensive backs can't intercept the ball. Like, <laughs> it just it doesn't work that way. Giving up 18.7 points per game. That's it. Yeah, that's way more important to me than yeah. how many interceptions. And I think what you said is spot on. Like, if we're playing, we can't play in a super aggressive style of defense, and we want the guys to make the tackles. You'll notice they're going for the tackle over trying to punch the ball out because we can't give up those long drives. So we need to get them three and out. Like that's what we need to do. 
And so we keep the play in front of us. We don't, you know, we don't go for a play where we might miss the tackle but could punch the ball out because we can't give up the big the big play. And we don't. We're super good at it. I mean, the defense is ridiculous. And I think the reason they funnel everything to the middle of the field is because everyone else can collapse on it, right? The safeties can come crashing down, the cornerbacks can come crashing down, and then you got Weaver and Coin chasing them from behind. So that's I think they've under they the defensive staff understands, hey, if we if they can throw here all day, let's let them throw all, all day there because we know we have guys that can make the tackle at that spot. But if we try to for if we shift our defense like let's say to the left, and it's one guy on an island on the right side and he gets burned, we have no cover, and that's going to result in like a you know a twenty five yard you know long pass play, and you know most college teams now go tempo after that, and we're gonna we're not gonna be able to recover as good as our defense is so yeah that's the one thing i have about our defense that's the one exploitable spot that's that's been there over the last couple of weeks and some teams have exploited it but at the same time it's like i can't i can't blame the defense if that's you can't cover everything for you know for eternity you're gonna have to give up something at some point so that also comes down to the pass rush but that's another that's another topic i think the the takers have been as advertised um Hodgkins Hodgins Hodgins sorry um he's good Cam Bynum on that one touchdown and then the other touchdown they had uh the referee beat Evan Weaver yep (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the the ref was basically a wall between Evan Weaver and the player it's ridiculous uh you saw Weaver get up and he wasn't even pissed he was just like like what can you do and the ref's just in the lane so let's talk about O-line all right so here's my thought on the O-line. Obviously losing like losing our center yep. was devastating. Devastating because we looked semi-competent on the first on the first drive of Oregon or like one of the first drives of Oregon, right? We looked competent in Oregon until we lost Saffle. Yeah. And then we lost Saffle and it was like downhill. Yeah. So that was pretty devastating. The only reason, though, that I'm giving Greatwood a pass here and would be open to like keeping Greatwood on staff is because I guess that would sound more aggressive than I intended. Yeah, <laughs> but um, is because he's good at recruiting. He's done a much he's done a really good job of recruiting and uh, of getting big bodies in. I cannot tell you why our line is this, this bad though. This is year three. Like, we had three years to recruit. I mean, I guess it's kind of like two. because, But, like, we had enough time to, like, have depth at these positions and be okay. And I know I threw this out there earlier, so it would be fun to hear your take. The Niners have lost three linemen <laughs> this season. They haven't replaced with through free agency. Like, and they look far more competent. Obviously, it's the next level. It's Kyle Shanahan, offensive-minded coach. But, you know, those injuries happen. It's not like, I mean, yes, we have had a high injury thing, but I like just hate blaming it on injuries. Like, we shouldn't look that bad against a front of Oregon State that has done nothing to everyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. I think, so for me, like, when we have this discussion on Twitter about the Niners thing, it's like, uh, like, sure, like, they they had guys. I, I would like to go, I haven't looked at the roster for the Niners. I'd love, I'd love to go back and look at the the guys that are being replaced. Like 
how many years of experience that they have in the league. Like, are they guys that have been journeyman guys, mm. or have they been with the Niners for you know over two two or three years? Like, have they been you know the backups in Shanahan's system over the last couple of years? Because if that's the case, that makes a lot more sense that there's less of a drop off there than sure. But you if you were going to lose one, who is the most devastating O lineman for the Niners to lose? Oh, Staley, right? No and question. They lost him. Yeah. And that's like what I look at for us. Like we lost Will Craig. Um, who knows how Gentle Williams would have been? But even just having Gentle Williams would yeah. have been better than what we have right now. Um, I can't tell if it's like Saffle was really good at calling out coverage or blitzes or like what the, the alignments, is. the alignments, the line adjustments and the line shifts he called out. But the thing is, the moment he went down, you saw in the Oregon game and a bit in the Oregon State game, like there are times where they're not adjusting. And you saw like a couple of times when Monster got sacked, like he just a free rusher. Yeah. Just great. from, you know, the into the gap. And a half in. Yeah. You, know, you just see it. So yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, it goes, there's two ways to go about that too. Right. I mean, you also have for the Niners in the Niners case, you have a head coach who's arguably one of the better, best offensive coaches and offensive minds in the league. If not all of fo- all of football, and he can probably adjust to that a lot more, like relatively speaking, versus what you know Baldwin and Greatwood is trying to do here. But yeah, I think yeah, I'd I'd love to go and and look at that roster stuff too, because if if the backup guys are guys that have been in the league for let's say five, six, seven years. There's a lot more experience there versus us where we're trying to throw on McCade Metower, who was a true freshman, <laughs> like into the Oregon game and asking him to like pass pro perfectly. Like it's not going to work, you know? So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of questions and zero answers. Yeah. And I feel like we're saying, I say that line every week, every week. No, this is definitely the most, like I can't, I cannot look at a game on our schedule and tell you like, Normally, I'm, like, super optimistic. And oh, yeah. I think this has been the internal battle for me. I'm like, okay, like, yeah, 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 whatever. We lost. Like, it's ASU. It's like, all right, we lost. But, like, we're going to do this, this, and that. No. And now I can't look at a single game on the schedule and tell you we'll win that we can win. Or that I can't even make a definitive case that I would, like, definitely not the Utah game. And then it's, like, Washington State. Yeah, I think we could shut down their offense. It's a home. But, like, even then, I'm like, nah, but, like, we still can't score. So, like damn it and it, like if you can't score points you cannot even convince yourself you are capable of winning football games. if you can only score 17 points against oregon state and let's say that's the average for the rest of the year right we can only score 17 points we're not winning the rest of the season there's no there's no there's no way we're winning the rest of the season okay i should take that back there's like a one percent chance way of winning where like the defense like pitches a shutout, right? Yeah, or like beat, under like, ten points, and we we somehow score seventeen and we win. We could beat but, Washington State, right? But on average, but on average, just based on how many points those other teams that we're playing against score against you know their competition, like seventeen points isn't going to cut it. Not in college football, dude. Not in the Pac-12. We nineteen point nine points per game is just. Do you see my reply to your tweet? I honestly think that there's a case to be made that, like, 
if Washington State's going to let go of their D coordinator, you could make the case <laughs> that we should let go of our O coordinator. It's that bad. Like, our, the st- like statistically, I'm not arguing this for the sake. I don't think it'd be good for the program. But statistically, based on how bad we are performing, and you add in the historical data, it's hard not to see why this program like Washington State makes that move and, like, why Cal is considering doing something different. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I want you to hold that point. Because I have two more points, but... Um... So my my two my two last points. One's like a kind of a retelling of what I just said, but this is my line. There's zero there's a zero percent chance that this offense will be better. There is a hundred percent chance this offense will be worse for the rest of the year. Wow. I fully believe it. You don't think there's any way this offense improves? Mm-mm. So then we win zero games. I mean, as I said, there's that one percent chance of like you know where we score 17 and they score 10. So we're going or, four and or, eight this year. Yeah. Bah. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Just stab me yeah. in the heart. Yeah. <laughs> I I I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Dude, four and eight is so confusing. All right. And the the last point is judging by what Coach Wilcox said today in in his presser, which was that. They had no update on Monster and that he was day-to-day. And in the injury report, I believe it says he's week-to-week. Mm-hmm. which And we didn't see it. But apparently on the broadcast, they it showed him when he was going down, his head like whiplashed. And then they said, it looks like he's being treated for a concussion. So if it is a concussion, the concussion protocol is very weird. Like, he could be ready to go tomorrow. But he could also not be ready to go for like two weeks, months, months. So it's a test that they do every day to see if he's past his symptoms and if he's like totally clear. If he's not, then like, you know, he can't even practice. So if he can't practice, let's say he didn't practice today, which is most likely right. If he can't practice tomorrow, which is Tuesday practices are arguably like one of the most important ones Mm -hmm. because you're installing the game menu for Saturday. Yep. So if he's unable to go tomorrow, then I would put his likelihood at playing at close to 0%, which means Spencer Brash is going to get his first start as a Cal Bear at Rice-Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City against the Utah Run Utes. Dude, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> at least it's different. Oof, that's, <laughs> like, but that's tough. Like That's a tough ask to ask a true freshman for your first game to be in that stadium. Lord. In that atmosphere. But here's the other part of that is that apparently Utah's starting quarterback is potentially hurt and he's, you know, questionable, which means I watched uh, Whittingham's uh, what's it presser today. And he said, if he's, if Tyler's unable to go it, he said it'd be a competition this week between uh, Shelly and Fisk. Fisk is the guy that actually came in and spelled, Huntley in the Utah in Utah's game this past week against ASU. So or I think Shelley did play it a little bit too, but um Fisk threw the ball a couple times. Hmm. So if if Fisk wins that competition, like that's the that's the matchup, right? That's the matchup that all Cal fans and Utah fans were rooting for since the beginning of the year. You go into week eight and the quarterback matchup is Spencer Brash versus Fisk <laughs> or Lisk. Is it Lisk or Fisk? One or the other. But yeah, 
That's insane to think about. You know, I don't know if Avi's listening to this, but Avi, when we were eating dinner, said he's actually optimistic about the Utah game. I don't know what's wrong with that man. <laughs> <laughs> he's been so good at predicting games. I can't not agree with them, but then I can't give you any substantiated reason why you should be optimistic for that game i honestly think the only way that your theory gets disproven of a hundred percent chance that our offense only gets worse is if spencer brash comes in and and shows something special that we just didn't see and the yeah, one thing that that's... i keep thinking in my mind is like regal talking about that zip that he throws the ball with and how excited the coaching staff uh, was about like you know how he throws the ball and, you know, maybe that's it. We get lucky where we get a backup that comes in. And here's my thing. You want my you want my two minute scouting report on Brash and what I saw in the fall camp? Yes. But t- let me tell you real fast. Go for it. If we've seen Bowers and Garbers and Monster, Albert Einstein would punch me in the face and be like, you are literally watching the same thing over and over and over again and doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So you're an idiot. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, so here's my two-minute thing on Spencer Brash that I saw in fall camp. The dude has a live arm. He's six foot four. He can. He's, I think, our tallest quarterback. So he definitely has more prototypical size that you want. He's not a scrambler. He's more of a pocket passer. But he does have some athleticism. Like you watch his high school tape, and you do you do see him run out of the pocket a little bit and and be a little elusive. But he's not the type of guy that just takes off. He's not monster or Garbers in that regard. The thing with him was that when he was making throws, um, I don't know whether they were working with him and like you know with his with his throwing motion or whatnot. But at least during fall camp, his throws were high. All of his throws like overshot his wide receiver. And maybe judging judging by that, I think it might have been a footwork thing. Um, but if that's what they were working on in fall camp two months ago, and if that's what they were adjusting then, there's no way that he's ready, like and and fully over like fully adjusted all that stuff to now. Because you know we just talked to Kevin Riley about the whole QB one versus QB two thing, right? About the snaps. Outside of fall camp, like Garbers, Garbers was the one, right? With QB one, so he p- took eighty percent of the snaps. Brash was getting scout team though. Brash was getting scout team, but that you're not running. If you're in scout team, you're not running our offense. Well, no. So he would be running the, the opponent. Right, yeah, he'd be running the opponent's offense yeah. against our at least against our, our defense. defense. So, so all those people that always talk about oh our quarterbacks must be good because they play our defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe yeah. we'll see it from Brash. <laughs> yeah, but he did have a really nice arm. He he when he throws it does he doesn't heave his entire body into throws. It's a very it it feels very quick and very loose. And you saw I don't know oh you didn't get to see it, but people some people saw that you know when he got when he came on and you saw it in those two drives and. His first pass was just perfectly, like, calm, cool, collected, just over the middle. You know, a solid gain. Um, so, he does have that arm. The question is, can he do that against a Utah team that pretty much runs the same type of defense that we do with multiple looks and, and disguises? And, man, to be thrust as a true freshman quarterback in the middle of the season with zero preparation and one week of prep, 
and to like go through all that game tape of one like that type of opponent too not even like a just a, a, a lower tier opponent like if he had that type of prep going into the Oregon State game I'd say he had probably had a better chance but whew like that means he's only been the starting or he's only been getting the number two quarterback snaps for what the last two weeks since after ASU yeah yeah <laughs> so three weeks I guess three weeks because you have the bye week and then that so We'll see. If he's playing on Saturday, it's trial by fire. Uh, I mean, remember what we said about Chase last year is that, like, we we basically – we were talking about it over the postseason. We were like, we, we broke him. Remember how we were saying that? We break everybody. Yeah. California but, football, the breakers of quarterbacks. <laughs> six. Six different quarterbacks. Have- we're the takers and the breakers. <sighs> we're just crushing it with the hashtags today. Six different quarterbacks – has taken snaps for Cal in a game since the beginning of last season. Six. <laughs> Incredible. It's, I believe, it's seven if you consider Garber's 2017 and Garber's 2018 to be two different people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, all right. Question time? It's question time. Let me pull it up on the tweeters. Uh. Oh, before we get to question time, I don't know if he if he ever he'll ever listen to this, but congratulations to Jalen Brown. Mm-hmm. Oof. Hundred ten million. Four years. Granted, it's like a it's, I think it's like a like hundred and four with like eight millions in very, very like crazy incentives. Which he probably it said like he probably won't ever get to, but whew, that's money. Secure the bag, my friend. Secure the bag. Is there a Jalen Brown practice facility being built somewhere? No, maybe Jalen Brown locker room. Yeah. I mean, I just want Jalen, like, the long-term goal for me was always Jalen signed by Adidas. So Jalen gets his own signature shoe with Adidas. And then we cut our ties with Under Armour. <laughs> we flip to, flip to Adidas. Like, that's the thing with Arizona State, right? They get all those cool colorways and the Hardens because of Harden. And that's awesome. That's so cool to see. All right. Got some questions for you. Um, I think the big question that everyone wants asked is, of course, about Baldwin. But I think we can use that as like the last thing. So I'm just going to skip all the Baldwin ones and just talk about the ones that have don't have to do with them. So first one, in the next two years, will we ever see a top 15 Cal football team? I just want it to be a reality as soon as I can answer that for him. We just did this year. Yeah. <laughs> you literally just saw a top 15 Cal football team. This is that team. <laughs> it might not look like it now, but we were in the top 15. We were. We were. I mean, do you have a realistic answer to that? Yeah, I know. That's kind of a, the fun answer. Um, look, it, it it's not... It's a way easier problem to solve, uh, in my mind, solving it in off solving for offense than it is solving for defense. Um, we've taken care of the hard part, and now it's just a matter of you know, a hundred percent getting, you know, whatever it takes to get the offensive ball to be, you know, top sixty. And well, damn it, I'm falling in my own traps. It shouldn't be that hard. It's been hard for Dykes to do it for defense. It. I think it's easier to, to get a more I, – I think it's just a little bit easier to get the personnel on offense 
that you need to you know be successful. So I could see it being top 10. I mean, especially if you look how good at we are with our out of conference schedule so far under Wilcox, you know, it's not going to be too different. Um, and you know, next year where we kind of go in and I, I easily could see us next year's tougher too, by the way, out of conference schedule, in my opinion. Is it? Why? It's got UNLV and TCU. Mm, no. UNLV and TCU. I could easily see us going five and zero again and getting the top ten. <laughs> I, could, I could talk myself into that, no problem. Well, we also don't know what the Pac-12 schedule is, right? For the for that year, so. But this is asked because the addendum to that is that he, he's. I just want to be that. I just want that to be a reality as a student with crying tears. And I looked at his profile. And he's Cal twenty two. So he's got two years. He's a sophomore, so he's got two years left of being a Cal student. He's like, consider yourself lucky. Yeah, there's like eight years before you of guys that didn't like that witnessed no good success other than that one golf year. Yep. I mean, in, if you were 2012 to 2016, you had a pretty rough time. Yeah. Yeah, you had yeah. a pretty rough time. Yeah, you did. So, yeah, that's that's your question answered. We'll go to the next one. Uh, what gives you hope for the rest of the season? What I can answer, I can answer that at least the first part, and I'll toss to you. What gives me hope for the rest of the season? It's Thanksgiving. It's Christmas. Oh like, my god! All right, it's, it's, all right. <laughs> I can give you some hope. Stanford is absolutely terrible, and they're as hurt as we are. So there's a if real not more hurt. shot to win the big game. So if there's anything to kind oh, of peg your hopes on. It's going to the farm, having a blast, and beating Stanford at home because none of their fans will be there. So that to me, and UCLA is also not very good. Like we could easily go to a bowl game. Like UCLA is not good. Stanford's not good. We win those two games. We go back to the Cheez It Bowl. We have a ton of fun. You know, we throw six interceptions again, and we relive what we thought would be impossible. So peg your hopes on that and eat a bunch of Cheez Its. Why? Order the um, Pizza Hut cheese it thing. Uh, I had a friend who actually ordered that and said he would never do it ever again. <laughs> so I'm gonna take his advice. I'm gonna take his advice and never order that ever. Oh boy. Uh, all right, we got another one. Needing two wins in our last five games, who do you see as the opponents we have the best chances to get those W's? I just gave my two. Stanford, UCLA. I think Washington State's a. a, a I think that's a really winnable game too. I mean, I, th- I do think like our defense will shut down that offense and Washington state's just all over the place. The thing that, like you get them at home. If it was on the road, I wouldn't feel that way. We get Washington state at home. They're a mess. Mike Leach is banned from using his Twitter account. Like we're, that's a winnable game uh, against an offense that we scheme really well against. So um, yeah, I, for me, I don't, I don't know. We we're so bad against dual threat quarterbacks. Like we just, I, I don't think we have the athleticism to keep up with a guy that scrambles that well. So that's the big thing against playing like a guy like DTR. And in the Rose Bowl too, we have horrors of when we play at the Rose Bowl. So, but then we've also played better on the road than we have at home this year. Yeah. So that's why it's so hard to like pick. There's no like easy answer here, but I'm just going to go with Washington State. And... You know what? No, I flipped that. I, I I think we may end up losing to Washington State. I'm going to say we beat SC at home to end the year. 
and then we beat Stanford, but we lose to UCLA and Washington State. Or those are to- more toss-ups. I think those are the. If I had to pick two games to win-win, those would be the two. SC and SC and Stanford. Oh. All right. Our dear friend Josh asks us evaluate the defense as a whole. I think we did some of this already, so yeah. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Yeah. But I I I think the defense has been really good, uh, and you know, right at expectation with maybe some desire for more havoc on, from the defensive line. But other than that, they've played really well. We should win these games with the, a lot of games with this defense. So I don't really have any complaints. I don't either. I think the big thing for here is that if you're looking at it just from a statistical standpoint, like points per game, like we're way better. But, you know, for takeaways like forced fumbles or interceptions, like we're down from last year. So – if that's your gauge, then sure, we're not as good. But everything else points to that we're on par, or if not better. All right, uh, <laughs> Nick Nick Krantz, our Monday columnist, is is my screw it throw deep game plan to cr- so crazy in my work or just crazy? <laughs> so crazy in my work, I absolutely love it. <laughs> it was it was spot on. I mean, every th- we saw this. Uh, against, I think it was North Texas, too, yep. where Chase was, like, refusing to throw the ball. Yep. But every time we did throw the ball, good things happened. Yep. Yeah, just chuck the ball deep. It's the thing. I hate to burst the bubble here. It works against Oregon State. So we had the opportunities to do it. It's not going to work against Utah. And I don't think it's particularly going to work against most of the other teams that have, like, really solid athletes in the secondary, but like the time to do it was Oregon state and the time has passed. But yes, I would have loved to have seen them just like chuck the ball deep. Good things happen. Like when monster would make those throws. That's the thing with monster is that if you look at all of his throws so far this year, our eval of him going into the year was he's very good at making deep throws. It's the intermediate, the short ones where it's questionable um, where he's overthrowing guys or, you know, throwing behind or too far in front of guys. But on deep throws, he's been pretty dang accurate and made some, like NFL level throws. Not saying he's an NFL level quarterback, but he's made some NFL level throws. And yeah, it that's the thing. It works with Monster because he can put the ball accurately down the field enough where it won't be in harm's way. Right? We can't be chucking deep over down the middle on a, you know, a two man zone, you know, two safety deep zone, right? We can't we can't be doing that. But with Monster throwing the ball, if he can throw 35 yards deep like at the sidelines, and it's either out or he catches the ball, like, or you know that Jordan Duncan touchdown throw. Like, if it's those type of throws, yeah, keep throwing deep. I think what the issue is, is that you can't keep you can't give them enough time for these plays to progress right now. Yep. So you'd also, in tandem with that, have to start thinking of ways of moving him out of the pocket and getting him those extra couple of seconds, and then you know hopefully he has enough time. To, but you, no one can throw deep if they only get one and a half seconds to throw the football. Yeah. And that's not even on just on the quarterback. You need your play to develop downfield. Like if it's a, cause most likely on a go route, like we don't have the athleticism to just beat DB straight. So it's going to be, you know, like flood concepts or, or you're doubling on a CB or cornerback or safety, or you're doing double moves down the line. So in order for that to happen, the wider season you get downfield. Well, I mean, you need you, time. You think about the Oregon state game. We get the ball, like the defense absolutely shuts them down in the third quarter. We take the lead. We have two possessions to, you know, get points on the board in great field position. We haven't even 
we didn't even touch on how good our field position was that game. It was ridiculous. And you don't take any deep shots. I mean, it's just like there's nothing going on in this offense that is remotely imaginative whatsoever. And you know, not being aggressive in those situations, I don't get it. Like both Nick and Avi said, like we turtle. We turtle all the time. We like turn in the most conservative team when you know, throw that ball downfield and get the flag. Like make the big play. We like I think we're so resistant to turnovers, whether the staff says that we are not, like it's there's a lot of evidence that we are. And so yeah. Anyways, thanks Nick for allowing us to eventually relive the Oregon State game. But yes, I would totally Agree with that crazy plan. We got another one asking about the defense. It says, what's happened to the defense this season that's made it regress from last year's form? I think we already answered that. We don't think it's regressed. If we if you think it's if you think it's regressed, okay, yeah, you're entitled to your own opinion, but I mean from what we've seen so far, we don't think that it's regressed. If anything, it's been the same or improved. Yeah, I think you you have the D line and you have the loss of Kanasich and that's pretty much what you could say but other than that it's like we're not losing games because our defense i mean if you were just not yeah all right the last thing is uh some questions about bo baldwin and the hot seat so let me read you some of the questions that people sent and then we'll talk about this topic and then we'll wrap up the day so what will it take for Wilcox to make a coaching change on offense? What obstacles are preventing him from making a change? Recruiting, continuity, finances, lack of revival replacements, loyalty, injuries, hope. Um, what does this team have to do to fix this offense? Does Baldwin need to get fired? Is it Baldwin and or Wilcox or is it injuries to blame? Um, and then the last couple ones were on Discord, which you can join if you're listening to this. Uh, how much is Baldwin's buyout? Um, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So here's what I know. Um, I requested all of the coaches salaries, uh, earlier in the summer after the extensions were announced and Baldwin's current salary sits at, I believe 570 K. Um, with the salary pool increase i don't have the before so i don't know what it increased from or if it increased at all but we do know that they got a salary pool increase we just don't know where that was distributed to when wilcox got his extension like i think that was one of the key negotiating points for wilcox was getting a a bigger uh, assistant pool or, or fund pool so yeah, so that's where we sit at 570k. Just to put that in perspective, I looked up some of like the top 25 offensive coordinators, not by pay, but like just TCU's offensive coordinator, Sonny Cumbie. Probably makes eight to a mil. 700k. Living in Texas. So taking into account cost of living and all that good stuff. We're not nearly competitive with that. So so that's where we're at. Um, the other thing is is most I, I can't remember off the top of my head, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it, but most times when you hire a coordinator, you give him a three year deal. If Baldwin's deal is a three year deal, 
and I can clarify this in next week's pod once I look at the the contracts again. But if it is a three year deal, this year would be his last year, which would mean that it it doesn't make any sense at this point to fire him right now, because one you'd be spending money to get rid of a guy you could get away you could get off of for free come a month's time. The second thing is. In my in my view, is there anyone on the staff right now that could step in and be the play caller, and the off like the interim offensive coordinator right away? There's no one on the staff right now that has had that uh, prior experience, right? Tui's Tui used to be the I think the passing coordinator at uh, UCLA when he was there, but that's still not like drawing up a game plan, like doing the offensive coordinator duties and play calling duties. So I think that's also one of the things that you can't really do that because, you know, with like the Washington state thing, when, when Tracy clay stepped away as the defensive coordinator, they had two guys that they put in as co defensive coordinator because they were already game planning, like the run defense and the pass defense. And they kind of just picked like what they were going to do, you know, on everything. So it kind of worked in their favor. I think for right now for this staff, you just, yeah, it, there's there's all those reasons. One, we're not a program that does that. Two, realistically, it'd be a waste of money, including like knowing how much deficit we have. And three, there's no viable candidate that would take over as the interim. Like, if you were to fire Bo Baldwin right now, you're legitimately punting on the last five games of the season. So, because you'd be in, you'd be pretty much implementing a first year offensive coordinator for five games. So with no prior experience. So that's that's where we're at. Um, that's and I can totally understand why people want him gone or have him on the hot seat. So, but feel free to to give your thoughts on it. Uh, I think some of the first questions were about like what is it going to take for Wilcox to you know make a change, and I think like the writing is on the wall. So uh, if you watch any of his interviews with how grumpy he is, I would guess that things aren't all sunshine and butterflies right now. Um, I don't think there's any way, especially in college athletics, where you have this donor pressure. There's going to be a lot of donor pressure, and that makes its way to the AD, and the AD and Wilcox are super close. So, yeah, that's pretty much what got fired right yeah for so sure. yeah you know and uh, yeah so i think exactly you're gonna see the change will happen i think that this is the game that sealed the deal you know the evidence is there why didn't it happen earlier i think continuity um i think i'm sure financial financials but i think continuity continuity more than anything else i think you kind of look you could really excuse last season you could hell we were excusing this season you know, like we said, okay, Bowers got hurt last year, uh, and then you had to put in a backup quarterback, and then you had the two-quarterback thing, and we almost had eight wins, you know, if it wasn't for some badly timed turnovers. And, okay, like maybe, you know, maybe we do it. I talked myself into Baldwin staying. So it's not hard to see, like, why he made that decision after the cheez Bowl. Um, and, yeah, it does have an impact on recruiting. I think now, I think the bigger risk is keeping Baldwin on and letting these this talented recruiting class see firsthand letting Chris Street and Filkins and these guys like 
see uh you know this offensive performance and be like i don't know like why would i want to join that what we want to have people saying is like i can fit myself in there and take this team to the next level i'm just the missing piece and right now we have nothing um to really identify like and so i think um i think there'll be good candidates out there and i would fully expect a move to happen um and i if we do go into utah and get shut out or score three points or score seven points i wouldn't be surprised to see a move happen what is the negative uh ramification of letting go baldwin financially this year versus like at the end of the year i don't know i don't know what that is like Uh, it it could be his it could be like i i would think judging judging by like coach fox's contract and like viking's contract it's by date so if he's fired prior to this date, then there's it's a like, buyout. Yeah, like buy, the buyout go, the, goes now. Like White King's contract was by like it was like it was a date in the summer. So if he was released by this date in the summer, then so his contract was weird because there was no buyout. It was just the remainder of his contract, yeah, which yeah, was yeah, a five year, five mil contract. So it's a mil a year, right? Yeah. So if it passed this date in the summer, then and then you you let him go afterwards, like you owe him that much. Yeah. Does that make sense? So like the the time when we let Viking go, we owed him three mil. Right. Because yeah. so I don't know what the thing with Baldwin is. It could be one of those things where if he's let go in the middle of the season, he still owed the rest of his contract, which would mean the rest of his salary or like it's like one point five or, or whatever it is. Yeah, I just don't think so. you can sell you can pitch a dream to recruits on a lifeless offense. And that's sort of what we've seen. And you're at the bottom of the bottom. So um I I, I don't really see even if it is counter to what we believe in as a program how you would let if it's really that bad against utah next week it's going to be there's it's just going to be bedlam on but um yeah i mean the flip side of that recruiting thing that i'd I'd want to discuss would be what made them want to commit to us to begin with then right because these guys that are committed to us are committed to us because one they either got soul division Two can like are you know real tight with the with the staff. Like it, there has to be a reason for them to commit. Like it's not just their relationship with Justin Wilcox. Most of these guys probably have only met Wilcox once or twice. Most of these guys are probably tight with Burl Toller, Nick Edwards, uh, Bo Baldwin. Well, at least the, we're talking just the offensive guys, right? So there was a reason for these guys to commit to the school if they truly believed in it, and they committed early too. So like they. Or some of them committed early. So they know, they saw the tape from last year. Like they know, and they probably saw some of the tape so far this year. Like if they haven't decommitted by now and like are like, oh yeah, I do not want to play for this coach. Like I don't think that's that's as big as a concern if let's say we were to extend Baldwin. If anything, if we were to extend Baldwin, I think some of those guys might stay on versus if we were to get rid of him in in December like right around signing period then those guys probably jump ship to the number two school that they were more in contact with because you know that staff and you were you were sold on that vision of that that school for a year does that make sense I don't know because you have to build those relationships right and if yeah like if we fire let's say we fire Baldwin at the end of the season it's like no let's say at the end of November right we probably won't hire a new offensive coordinator till what, like mid December, late December. 
that's early signing that's early signing period and so if these guys want to decommit and sign elsewhere there's there's zero time for any offensive coordinator to come in and convince them to stay and build that relationship and make them want to stay plus even if they sign their letter of intent with us and they find out they, they we get a new offensive coordinator in and the new offensive coordinator like either one doesn't value that kid as highly as they thought or two they don't have a offensive like scheme or part for them like we're not going to hold them hostage over their NLI like we're going to we're going to let them go and they're going to go so like i'm not saying it's i, I i'm not saying that we should keep him on for the sake of holding the staff or for the sake of holding the recruiting class together. But I don't think the recruits would decommit just because we decided to keep him on. If that makes sense. Cause they're, they're already committed to us. I do. I think you'll see people flip. Um, you know, well, until, then... until this, until they sign their NLIs, there's always a chance of guys flipping. And we saw that, you know, just last year and the year before with Maldonado and with, with uh, mafia, yeah, but, but guys flip because of what they see. I mean, they're. I mean, yeah, they flip from what they they see though. They'll see the product on the field, and like they're you're committing in June, and then you're being sold. Hey, you know, we're gonna be much better, much better, but right. And then you see this like if you're if if we go four and eight, like they're gonna be like what what the hell, right? This program isn't trending up. This program is trending down, and that's different from what I was told six months ago, and, and so I think. Um, yeah, I mean, yes, there's a bunch of different reasons why guys commit to the program, but I, I do think like making that move and knowing that there's a lot of reasons besides the coach that they commit to the program, I think there may be an opportunity to sell, Hey, stay on to this thing and we're going to improve the offense and we're going to hire someone. But, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not opposed to seeing Tui have a chance to call plays. Who's the, probably the only person there that could take on that role. Uh, I just think if you're real, if you're a realistic outlook is there's a 0% chance this offense gets better for the rest of the year. Then when, at what point do you just sort of say, F it, I'm going to, you know, just try something new and try something different because what we currently have is getting us nowhere. At some point you might want to pull the plug. I don't know if it's, I'm not saying it's the time, but like, you know, if I'm just saying, if next week goes really poorly, like we score seven points, like I think it's, I think the writing's on the wall. Yeah, I. It's just, just the, just the financial stuff and like the bureaucratic stuff of what goes on with, especially within college athletics, is, is so different, right? And like, it's not like the NFL where money is abound. <laughs> like, I think you. I think it's so late in the season now too, where it's just like, what are we going to do <clears throat> financially? Like we're going to have to pay him his salary anyways. We'd be basically giving away free money. Then the year, like we can let him go for free. I think that's probably where you have to stand. Unless, unless some donor comes in with the buyout and is just straight up like, here it is. Let's make a statement. I just don't know if there is. I don't think there's a buyout. Like, I don't know if there's a buyout on it. There I mean, has there has to be a buyout because it's it's a contract, right? So, but I mean, if it's the buyout is just the remainder of the contract, and it's like, yeah, we're gonna pay you to do this. If we're going nowhere, we're getting nothing. Out. It's like, I, I mean, yeah, it's like, why not make that move? I I 
I personally don't see why you wouldn't make it if it's just like, yeah, we owe you the rest of the money. Like, you're it's dead weight. We're getting nothing. We're not recruiting well. We're not like you know on the offense side of like I'm not saying we're not, but like at that point, like are we recruiting anyone? Are we closing on anyone that we're really optimistic about? Are we showcasing something different? Are we being competitive? If all of those things are no, 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 and then you start to wonder like is the guy like really checked in? Is he here? Is he present? Is this like you know is there a real effort behind changing things and if like that's like make the switch make the switch and give the guy something to believe in because what you don't want to do is subject your players to like this season of misery and have them all transfer and lose players again right because you have to also have to think about the guys that we have on the team that are seeing this and being like okay so we're just going to sit back and support this horrible product like everyone can see that this output is unacceptable so i think like i'm I'm not advocating for doing it. I'm just sort of trying to tear down a little bit of the wall against why, you know, if there's another game and like, we've said some pretty negative things like, and and in acknowledging that, like, I think there's opportunity for change uh, if need be. Yeah. I think the dream scenario here would just, you know, people would just say like, get rid of them, like put in an interim. Like, so that's the thing for me. Like if this was a lost season, already from the get-go like Washington State's like defensive coordinator thing like that one's weird and I think there was a lot more clashing of heads between Tracy Clays and and uh what's his name head coach Mike Leach Mike Leach wow <laughs> went over my head I think there was a lot more in that relationship than there was about like how they were playing it and whatnot because Tracy Clays and his like exit and like little tweet thing was like you know like we didn't see eye to eye or like there were like we couldn't figure out a way of which direction we wanted to take the, the, the defense. So I think it was more of like a clash of ideas more than a, the product on the field. Mm-hmm. In this type of case, like, you know, you're still playing for a bowl game here. I think it's like when you, you cut your head coach when like what Oregon state did when they lost or when they fired Mike Riley. Right. And they in, interim head coach was Corey Hall. That season was already lost. Like, they just tested him out to see, like, let's see what Corey Hall can do. Like, maybe he is our next head coach, or maybe he's someone that we want to keep on as something else. But you give him that opportunity to just rejuvenate the team and, and have something for the fan base to, like, look forward to to the next year. I don't think our program's at that point yet, which is why I don't think we fire him. Because we're still playing for a bowl game. We still have five games left, and we still have four wins. Like, if we had let's – say, let's say this was flipped, right? Let's say we had only we were, I don't know, like three and three and four, or two and five. I think yeah, easily with this with these types of performances, I think easily you make that switch, and you just say the season's pretty much done anyways. Like we're not playing for anything. We're not playing for a bowl game. Like we're not. There's nothing we can attain by winning more games this season other than playing spoiler. Then you make that change and you see what maybe you something you have in there, or maybe if you can you know spark something. But I think it's I think as you I think the big word that we're talking about here is continuity because we're still playing for something. You're hoping that you can guys can just do just enough to win a few more games to get to that bowl game. So maybe the, I mean that's maybe the thought here because it's not a totally lost season at least not yet. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much all the time we have for. Um, as always. You know, you can tweet at us, 
at me at Rob11HWNG at Andy at Andy J Beast Mode. You can find us on Twitter at CGB Bearcast. You can also email us cgbbearcast at gmail.com. Um, if you're listening to this, that means you found us, but we're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. You can find all our stuff at CaliforniaGoldenBlogs.com. And, as all, and, of course, you can also, as Andy said at the beginning of the show, write your comments and your uh, reviews on Apple Podcasts, and we will read them on the air. So I think that's it. Is there any, any other little announcements we actually do at the end? Uh, but I guess just to end, uh, Utah game Saturday, I believe it's on FS1. 7 p.m. 7 p.m. FS1. I was yep. I was like, is it Fox or is it FS1? I couldn't remember. But FS1, I think. FS1, 7 p.m. It'll be a late night. I know Avi's making the trip out to Salt Lake City, so if anyone else is listening and making that trip out, be sure to hit him up. I'm sure he'd love to, you know, chit chat and stuff and do some things before the game, maybe after the game as well. But. Be on the lookout for that. And of course, our Discord channel, our CGB Discord channel. You can find us, you can find the link to it on Twitter. If not, just DM me at uh, Rob11HWNG and I'll get you the link. And uh, I think we're going to try and do the thing we did uh, just this past game where I'll be on the Discord voice channel for about 30 minutes af- at some point after the game. And uh, we can just chit chat about the game. You can ask me things or we can talk about any topics or concerns or anything about the game that we just witnessed so everyone can kind of decompress. So, yep, and that's pretty much it. And as always, go Bears. Go Bears. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.